Welcome everyone to our Ananda Spiritual Renewal Week. I am Naya Swami Maria, and with me today as speakers are Asha, Naya Swami Asha from Palo Alto, and also Naya Swami Ananta from here at the village. We'll have now some music. Every morning when I greet the sun, when I move forth through crowded ways, in my heart, Lord, ever so silently, I will always think of Thee. In my heart, Lord, ever so silently, I will always think of Thee. When I laugh, oh, and when I cry with pain, when my friends misunderstand in my heart Lord ever so silently I will always think of thee in my heart Lord ever so silently I will always think of thee storms in my heart Lord ever so silently I will always think of thee in my heart Lord ever so silently I will always think of thee when I'm working and when an earned repose let come victory or low defeat in my heart Lord ever so silently So silently, I will always think of thee. Dear God, my God, I am thine for eternity. Dear God, my God, I am thine eternity. This next song that we're going to do isn't heard that often, and it's titled, Through Many Lives. <clears throat> Through many lives, I've drunk the cup of laughter. 
No man could tell the pleasures I have known. The stars in the endless sky, if one could count, would come to billions. Yet as vast as are their Yet as vast as are their numbers, so many years I've wandered far from Bitter tears I've shed, the drops in the endless sea, if one could count, would come to billions, yet as vast as all their numbers, so many. As fast as are their numbers, so many years I've wandered far from you. Through countless lives I've sought your cup of sweetness. Found other cups, yet thirsted evermore. The streams in the hills of time all found their way into a desert. Every of bright fulfillment ere many hours did sink to evening gloom every noon of bright fulfillment ere many hours did sink That the sweetest song
Thank you so much for that lovely music. Swamiji sang that last song a lot uh, in the early days before he wrote other music. And so it takes one back and forward. <laughs> Our subject today is moving towards soul freedom, overcoming our karma. And the minute I heard this topic that we were to speak about, uh, I was deeply touched. It has a, a special meaning for me, and I'll just share this, not something I usually do, but um, as it would be in this incarnation, I was born on July 4th, the day of American independence. And as well, this is the celebrated birthday of Sister Gyana Mata, Yogananda's foremost woman disciple. That's how he described her in his lifetime and her lifetime. And he said of her that in that life she was fully liberated. Well, I don't interpret these as a certainty in reference to me, but surely Divine Mother has given me uh, reminders, very vivid and clear reminders as she has given to all of us that we walk this path with the great ones and the goal is freedom. The goal is transcending and overcoming whatever our individual karma might be. I have oftentimes in my life and in working and uh, teaching and being with others been uh, had it said to me, you know, what is this about freedom? You know, what does it mean to be freedom and uh, to realize freedom in this life? What is this about nirvikalpa samadhi? And how can we really give attention to this when our lives are so filled with responsibility, with obligation, with uh, and personal ambition? But in fact, the goal of freedom is very relevant, very relevant to each one of us, worth pursuing, worth giving focus to, worth affirming. And as our guru has told us, and as Swami Kriyananda has told us, achievable. And in reflecting, when I first came to Ananda and when I first met Swami Kriyananda, I, I think it was this compelling quality of his nature, freedom, inner freedom, that attracted me. I, don't, I wouldn't have given it these words at that time. I didn't have the understanding. I didn't have any relative experience in association with this. But I did recognize in him a being unlike any I had ever met up to that point, and truly since. And I would say that this was the compelling quality, the ability, the desire, if we can call it that, to live inwardly free. And then from that point, to be able to offer something to this world. In the Bhagavad Gita, we are given this teaching, this teaching of inner freedom, 
and the path that leads to inner freedom. And I couldn't help but think of Swamiji's chant. He wrote it very early on before most of the other music that was channeled through him. And this song is, I am free. It's a chant, I am free. And I'd like you to listen to this. I'm going to sing it through just once. And we have the words on the screen if you're not familiar. But if you do know this chant, close your eyes and feel these words. I own nothing, I am free in myself, I am free. I own no one, I am free in myself, I am free. I need nothing, I am free in myself, I am free. I need no one, I am free in myself, I am free. In myself I am free, in myself I am free. I am free, ever free, in myself I am free. I am joyful, ever free, in myself I am free. I am blissful, ever free, in myself I am free. I am nameless, ever free, in myself I am free. I am formless, ever free, in myself I am free. I wanted to share this chant because I feel that it gives us a very profound and definite teaching in this regard how to live with inner freedom. In the Bhagavad Gita, Swamiji, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna teaches us Nishkam Karma, action without desire for the fruits of action. And this is how we begin this chant. I own nothing. I own no one. God is the doer. And to not be attached to what we are doing, to how we are doing it, to the fruits even of those actions, but to perform action with that thought, as Swamiji says, think of God and his energy will flow through you. Very simple. And if we can just hold that thought, And when we forget it, when we lose that thought, when we make a mistake, bring back that thought. God is the doer. And to give God the actions that flow through us, all of them, the good, the mistakes, the things we don't do right. Swamiji says that when we do something that we can see isn't benefiting us spiritually, to inwardly resist that. And what does he mean by that? To not identify with the action, with the fruit, with the seeming failure, but to resist that and to try to hold on to that consciousness of God through us, God through each one of us. And when we find ourselves performing actions that are habitual, 
And even so, not good for us to redirect that energy, take that very same energy and channel it in selfless service to the divine. Make of it an offering. Give everything. Get into that flow of it. I remember <clears throat> uh, a story that Yogananda used to love to tell, and Swamiji told it many times too. And this was the story of Vyasa, the great sage. And Vyasa, in this story, his job was to ferry people across the river Jamuna. And on this particular day, the river was in flood. And the gopis, the devotees of Krishna, as they did every other day, came. They came bringing fresh cheese that they had prepared for Krishna. And they saw the river and they didn't know what to do. How could they get there? They couldn't not go. Maybe Biasa could help them. And so they asked, is there any way you can take us across? And he said, look for yourself. The river's in flood. Why do you need to get over there? We've brought this cheese for Krishna, for our Lord. We bring it every day to him. We must go. He's expecting us. And Biasa, looking at them, looking at the cheese, he said, what about me? I could use some of that cheese. <laughs> and the gopis, this was blasphemous. This was food they had prepared for Lord Krishna. And all of a sudden, Vyasa wanted some of that, very prasad. But what could they do? And they gave it to him. And he ate, and he ate, and he ate. And he left just a little part of it. Mmm, so divine. They were appalled. The devotees of Krishna, they couldn't believe this. And Vyasa, seeing their frustration and their condemnation toward him, he said, River Jamuna, if I have not eaten any of this cheese, divide up and part. And lo and behold, the river spread apart. And there was this bare path on the river bottom. And the gopis, not, you know, no time to question, no time to wonder, tore across that open channel and arrived on the other side at the feet of their Lord, who was sleeping. And when he awoke, he said to them, Ah, what are you doing here? We have brought you cheese. He said, Oh, no, no more cheese. That man on the other side of the river has fed me so much cheese, I can't eat another bite. And they understood. They understood that Biasa, this beloved disciple, had held that thought of God so strong in his consciousness that Krishna had received all of that prasad and had no room for their offering that on that day was not so selflessly given. So in the chant again, I need nothing. I need no one. I am free. And this part of the chant, this teaching, and I would suggest, I would offer you here the opportunity to really befriend this chant because the teaching is powerful. And he's talking about non-attachment. When we have desires, 
when we have wants, when we have needs, a certain job, a partner in our life, financial wherewithal, whatever it is, a restlessness enters in, an anxiety enters in. And we're always worrying about getting what we need. We're always worried about acquiring what we need. And what if we don't get it? What will happen to us? What will happen to the world if we don't get what we need, if we don't get things the way we think they need to be? What if we really, truly tried to live by God's will? What if we tried to do that? What if we so trusted in the divine to give us what we need when we need it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and tried to be in this incarnation with our entire focus, his channel, his instrument, and let it just be through each one of us what it'll be. Many years ago, Ananta and I uh, it was soon after, I think, uh, well, a long time ago. <laughs> In any case, that, what's important is the story itself. But we were driving on, a, on five lanes of traffic in Los Angeles, heavy traffic in the rain. And all of a sudden, the cars in front of us, a uh, car lost control, completely spun around and headed right at us. Five lanes of busy traffic. And we could see the hood of our car crumpling up toward the windshield. Swamiji was chanting, Lord, I am thine, on our little tape player. And we were just watching what was, in that moment, like watching a movie. And my thought was, what next, Divine Mother? What next? Because we were going out. (laughs) That was it. And somehow... You know, miraculously, five lanes of traffic. We stop, everyone stops, and that car that was on top of us moves over to the inside of the divider, the safety lane. No one is hurt. No one is hurt. But that thought, what next, Divine Mother? I have no life but the one that you live through me. We want to get our consciousness around that thought. I need nothing. I need no one. Whatever I have is perfect because it has come at this moment from you. I am nameless. I am formless. I am free. If you don't know how to meditate, learn how to meditate and to feel that divine reality, perhaps is peace inside your own self. What will it cost you? Five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening to experience the peace of your own being and to see what happens from that, to see what comes from that, to see if you aren't just a little more free in your consciousness. And if you know how to meditate, If you already meditate and have a practice, learn how to meditate more deeply. Yogananda said, 
Every time we meditate, our karma decreases. Every time we meditate, our karma decreases. What a fun way to get rid of bad karma. <laughs> Any karma. Just meditate. Meditate. And how does that work? It's because in meditation, as Jyotish was saying yesterday, we're bringing the energy up the spine to the brain. And in that divine light, in that fire of divine wisdom at the spiritual eye, all the seeds of our karma, of incarnations of karma, of actions we couldn't possibly write in their entirety in a single incarnation. These are burnt up in that fire of wisdom at the spiritual eye. Every time we meditate, our karma decreases. And then those words that keep resounding through the chant, I am free. I am free. I am free. This is our reality. This is our path. This is our goal. This is the consciousness of who we are on a soul level. And it's what the masters see in us, each one of us. They don't see our bad karma. They don't see our littered pathway of the incarnation with so many tests and challenges and this and that and the other. They see that free nature of the soul that is eternal, that has always been there. I am free. I remember a dear friend of ours, uh, William Rowley, who many of you would have known. And toward the end of his life, he was in a very uh, severe car accident. And they had a life flight him out. He was out in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. And when he came around, the doctor conveyed to him he had broken the C2 vertebrae in his neck. And the doctor said, people don't usually recover from this, and they don't cover, recover well, especially people who are elderly. And William answered, well, it's good I'm not elderly. <laughs> That's just who he was. But after that accident, his, one of his sons went back to the site because it was such a traumatic accident, and it was a long healing process. And his son went back there to kind of make peace with the whole thing. And of course, the car had, you know, cars had been towed away. It was head-on. It wasn't his fault. And, but there was still some scattered debris, and he was walking around the site, and he, something caught his attention down in the gully. And he went down there, and he picked it up. It's a little wallet-sized picture of Yogananda. You see, the guru has the ability to mitigate our karma, to annihilate our karma, to even absorb some of our karma if it's the divine will. We have that power through that connection, that aid through that connection, that support and protective presence that our consciousness be in the right place. And in my life, I've seen so many people go through difficult tests, challenging tests, horrific, 
horrific tests. And I don't think there's a one that I can think of who hasn't said as a result of that experience, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because of the experience of inner freedom. When we get it right, when we embrace it as an opportunity, when we see it as something loving that Divine Mother has given us, to each one of us particular, to each one of us, to help us be free in our hearts. And I'll share just one more story. Swami Kriyananda was in Sacramento. We were there as spiritual directors for many years, and he had come to have a pacemaker put to help his heart with an irregularity. And they wheeled him into surgery, and when he came out, and when he came to, he said, how did I do? And Jyotish responded, you didn't do. (laughs) They didn't give you the pacemaker, and in fact, you need open-heart surgery because you have a faulty valve in your heart, and it's imminent. You need to get this done right away. And Swamiji said, give me a minute. And then he said, should I have the surgery before or after Christmas? Because it was right around that time. And his reasoning, he explained it. He said, if I have it before Christmas, I'll ruin everybody's holiday. You know, this is a big event in our Ananda family, the celebrations around Christmas time. They were big for Yogananda. And he said, I'll ruin everybody's Christmas. I'll just be convalescing and unable to do anything. And he said, if I wait, if I wait till after Christmas, everyone is going to have a terrible Christmas because they're going to be worrying about me all the time. He knew we would, and we would, we would be worrying all the time about him, and we would just be on edge and anxious about his safety and well-being. But what was so amazing was that that was his first thought. And you can't come at life and come at responsibility and come at karma and have that kind of loving concern for others first unless you have that freedom within your own self. And so I would just say that on this path of moving toward freedom and overcoming our karma, again, befriend this chant and use it as teaching, as guidance, as grace in your own life. Thank you. I'd like to now welcome our second speaker, Naya Swami Asha. Good morning, everyone. It's a great joy to be with you, even in these very unusual circumstances. Spiritual Renewal Week for many years has been one of the most wonderful gatherings that we have within Ananda. So gathered as we are in virtual time and space, heart, mind, and spirit are still united as we have always been. Strange as these times have been, that truth has been affirmed rather than disproved. Our physical separation has really just proven our spiritual unity. And these are lessons that are well worth learning. 
Our subject today is karma, moving toward freedom, how to work through it. A friend of mine uh, had a very serious operation and after he was in recovery, um, various things began in his body began to malfunction and he moved very close to exiting his body. And when he came back, because in fact it wasn't his time to leave, he, he remarked with a great deal of, of a commitment that it was really very, very difficult to get out of your body. He said the threads of karma were so complicated and interwoven that even when the spirit was beginning to remove those, uh, it was like a web that just this unresolved and that unresolved and this had to be worked with. I remember when our friend Paula was dying, uh, must have been now almost 20 years ago, she was one, uh, she died, she died earlier than, than many of her peers. And she had an extraordinary death, which I've written up in Swami Kriyananda, as we have known him. It's, it's a story well worth reading. She died very consciously with a group of her friends around her. And when, it was, when she knew it was time for her to pass, a few hours before that, she just very quietly took the supplemental oxygen out from her nose. And then about two hours later, kind of woke us all up with this realization that now was the time to exit. And she's consciously trying to leave her body. And then she says to all of us in the room, this is very hard. You have to help me. And we began to chant Om for her. And that seemed to ease her out. And I think the very hard is what my other friend was talking about. These interwoven webs of karma and in the last exit from the body, when we're really trying to go for freedom, all of those bits and pieces just start trying to hold us. Now, in the case of my first friend, it actually brought him back in this world to finish his business. In the case of Paula, I believe it was her trying to cut those bonds and to let them go, and she really wanted to go in freedom. Swami Kriyananda remarked after her passing, he said, I think she might well have been liberated, he said. It's not possible to die so consciously unless you are very, very free. When my friend Tushti was passing through the last weeks of her life and I was privileged to be living in the same house with her and her husband Surendra and uh, Daiva Gangamata and her friend Naranjana, we were sort of all there for several weeks with her. And it was fascinating to me to see as she began to withdraw more and more and gradually began to talk less and less. Every so often she would bring up an issue. What about my mother? What about um, the, the, the instruction that I'm supposed to leave consciously? What does that mean? Um, and And my role, as it turned out, was just sort of to be there to talk to her when she would ask these questions. At another point, strangely, she brought up the name of people that I didn't even know she knew well and said, what about this person? What's going to happen? He seems quite confused right now. He needs our help. And my, my intuition, um, and again, this is just my intuition because I couldn't transfer myself into her consciousness, 
was that the long process of leaving her body and she lingered much longer than the hospice workers thought they thought that she would they told us that she would be gone you know on friday that she wouldn't last until monday but she went for 10 or 12 days after that is that she was consciously working as hard as she could to untie as many knots as she was as she was able to untie in that final period of time so she could leave in freedom now that kind of conscious untying strangely is almost the exact opposite of how I want to think about karma um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, when, when I first started on the spiritual path, I had an extremely simplistic idea of what spiritual progress was going to be like for me. I'm, I'm very avid. I was very eager um, then, as I am now. Um, I, I tend to get very intense when I want to make something happen, and I just imagine that I would just gather up my little, little, it seemed to me, little pile of desires and just kind of check them off the list like that. Um, I've often joked that I heard masters say that you could have a portable paradise within you. And somewhere randomly I decided that in five years I would have perfect access to that. Totally made up the number. And of course when five years came, I was so not there not that I couldn't meditate, not that I hadn't had glorious experiences because ever since I met Swami Kriyananda, well, everything has been glorious. Even when it's been terrible, it's been glorious. So I wasn't, it wasn't like I was disappointed. But it's all more complicated than I knew it was. So many lifetimes, so many interactions. When um, a friend of mine, when Bella was passing out of her body, uh, I was told by someone who was there that in the last days of her life, Bella was sitting and she said to her friend, I see thousands of faces passing in front of me. And I realized that every one of them in one lifetime was my face. And so Bella was saying how, how easy it was to let go of the face she was wearing, how much easier it was to let go of the face she was wearing, considering how many she'd worn. But then again, when you think about it, just look at one incarnation, all the complexities of relationships and of desires and of thwarted dreams and of fulfillments, discoveries, failures. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. So there's, uh, we can either sort of work through, thinking about working through all of these piece by piece, when we're very early on the spiritual path, at least I, I was this way, um, I've seen people be this way, actually, is we get, we're very interested in the details of who I was and who I was with this one and why I feel like this toward that and what makes me be like this. And after a while, all karma, instead of being sort of fascinating in its individuality becomes rather boring in its generic nature. Just exactly the opposite of being um, uh, charmed by my own individuality and, oh, I had this lifetime as a singer and in this lifetime I was a pujari and I lived in that temple. You know, we all have these experiences. I went to Greece in the early 80s, went to Athens, and we went up to the 
the temple, the Acropolis there. And as soon as I walked onto that property, and I had not traveled very much at that point in my life, as soon as I walked onto that property, I felt so joyful. And it was very, very difficult for me to pull myself away from that place. I'd never thought about it. I'd never thought about it before. I'd never studied anything about it, but I could just feel that this had been an experience of mine. So it's not as if those memories don't come back to us as intuitions or as a sense of who people are to us. But life becomes, uh, the longer we're on the spiritual path, life becomes a really simple question. It's like, will I continue to just wrap myself around not only the current but the past and in all my preoccupations creating a future? Or will my intention in life be to always think of God? And karma is, is the, the backdrop. It is the backdrop in which we have the opportunity to play one part. And whether we're playing that part as a man or a woman, as a rich person, as a poor person, imprisoned or free, the only part that's actually been assigned to us is do we remember God or do we not remember God? And how much faith do we have that the divine is with us and conscious consciously taking us through. You know, when hard times have hit me in my life, which they do, which they hit everyone, even if I am distressed and my emotional nature allows me to become quite distressed about what is happening to me or what has happened to me in the past, I am comforted by a single thought. Divine Mother is committed to my spiritual freedom. In some ways, Divine Mother is more committed to my spiritual freedom at times than I am. Sometimes I'm willing to try to strike a deal with her for a little more comfort. But God and Guru are absolutely, um, our highest nature is what they want to bring out of us. And I have learned to say that if there was an easier way to take me from my delusions into the freedom that is my destiny, Divine Mother would certainly take me through that way. Like, why would she take me into more misery than is absolutely, you might even say, mathematically necessary for me to balance whatever it was that I took without paying for it before? That's how I've begun to think about karma. It's, it's, I say took without paying for it. By, by this I mean there is one route to happiness, and that route to happiness is to live in the presence of God, to accept everything that comes from us unhesitatingly as a gift from the divine, or to try to find what I've come to call an alternate theory of happiness that there are these divine truths. Karma is a very difficult teaching to accept when we really go deeply into it. 
and, and take it to its furthest extension. People get confused, and I've gotten emails from people saying, this relationship feels karmic. Do you think it's karmic? Yeah, of course it's karmic. What you had for breakfast this morning is karmic. What the color of your hair is karmic. You know, what car you drive is karmic. There's nothing in this world that isn't the result of everything that you've done before. And that's what karma is. Karma is cause and effect in life. And karma is those lessons that we haven't let yet learned. And, and those lessons can take very specific form, but it's the same basic lesson. There is one route to happiness, and that is attunement to God and surrender to God's will. And what we're doing all these lifetimes is we're testing out alternate theories. And each one of those alternate theories is like gathering up like a, 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 a big piece of of happiness and sort of holding it to ourselves and demanding that we get to keep it, even though there's a price on it. Let me see how to make this come out exactly. Let me, let me put it this way. When we were young devotees, I remember we used to remember, we used to hear that Kamala Silva, who was one of Master's dedicated disciples, she's a beautiful, uh, became a disciple at a very young age, she wrote The Flawless Mirror and another book, Priceless Precepts. Beautiful relationship with Master. And we had always heard that she had prayed to have all her karma uh, come to her in that incarnation, to finish it all. It was a, a courageous prayer that I never had the nerve to pray until recently. More recently, I've had more courage to do it. But when I actually saw how she herself had expressed it, it was very interesting. She said she wanted to pay all her karmic debts in this lifetime. And that was where it first occurred to me that it's a debt. I try to get happiness by some means that isn't really the right means. And so I have to be pulled back to center. So we move off center and then we're indebted to the divine because we've taken a little piece of this and tried to just make it work in another way. And Divine Mother wants it back. Divine Mother says, no, you've tried to steal happiness by misbehaving. Now you have to give that happiness back. And so that's a debt that we pay until we get back onto center. And so when these um, karmic debts, so to speak, come due, we don't really remember, you know, the, the theory of happiness that we were acting on or the little bit of pleasure that was given to us. All we feel suddenly is that something has been taken away from us. But it's a debt that we owed. And until all of those aberrations are balanced, we just go through this up and down cycle. But it doesn't matter, and this is what I was saying before, at a certain point I figured out that all karma is generic. Generic in this sense, which is it has, there is something remaining within my consciousness that has the capacity to take away my joy or at least to shadow my joy. And it doesn't matter if it's physical health, um, lack of money, um, disharmonious circumstances, difficulties with individuals, whatever it is, it's just something that life can put in front of you that is bigger than my capacity 
to hold on to the joyful presence of God within me that is big enough to frighten me and make me suddenly feel insecure and unsure about my place in the world that makes me worry and therefore in that anxiety I'm showing myself that no matter how glibly I can talk about these things I really don't have faith in God. You know, if we, if we really have faith in God then there's nothing that can move us off of our calm courage and our joy. So whatever happens to us it's really just they're all just like like uh, weights on the machine in the gym. You know, it doesn't really matter what shape the weight is, what color it is, uh, whether it takes two or three of them to create the same weight or just one giant one. It's we understand it to be an exercise. I'm not yet strong enough to push this one forward. And so I have to keep practicing until I am. But there's nothing that we do in our life that is so... Um, so welcomed by the soul as the opportunity to grow. And, and this is what we're also working with, is that we're, we're, we're caught between our, our subconscious and our superconscious. The subconscious wants ease and pleasure, even the words that we use, bad karma. Bad karma is considered to be that which interrupts ease and pleasure. Good karma is considered to be that which facilitates ease and pleasure. But that's the ego's way of thinking about things. What the soul wants is to pay its debts so it can be absolutely free. So all of these adventures, which you know can be quite colorful at times, and if our planet continues from the place it's in right now, if the necessary corrective of consciousness which Master has promised us is going to be given to us by God if this is really the beginning of, of a long disruptive, disrupted cycle in our country and even in our whole world then the ease and pleasure that we've grown accustomed to and we think of as our right may become harder and harder to come by. And so how are we going to relate to that reality? You know, are we going to torture ourselves with every individual event? Or are we going to just realize that everything that disrupts ease and pleasure is just an opportunity to become stronger and stronger in God? And in, in one of the morning broadcasts that I've been doing during this long cycle, I I really wanted to speak deeply about some of the things that I've learned in the last decade or so and I ended up I ended up titling that um, little talk I called it Fulfillment Heartbreak Surrender and the actual the fourth word there is bliss but I didn't feel I'd earned the right to put it on there so I just left it at surrender And you know, this is what the karmic cycle is. We desire, we use our willpower to have, and then for a while we have. And it's not as if, well, Swamiji put it beautifully. He said, we learn from having our desires thwarted. 
but we learn more from having them fulfilled. It's a very subtle and a very interesting statement. Because when we have our desires fulfilled, which Master said, eventually every desire that we hold has to be fulfilled. Because as long as we think that it will make us happy, we will hold that thought rather than um, giving everything we have to God. That's the alternate theory of happiness. As long as we have an alternate theory of happiness to complete absorption in God, a piece of us will refuse to be absorbed. So sooner or later, Master said, we have to experience everything we desire, not to discover that it's ugly, because much of this world is beautiful, and human love and human beauty and human art, it's all extremely uplifting but it's not quite enough. So whatever the fulfillment, there will always eventually be the heartbreaking realization that this isn't, still isn't what I want. Or the heartbreaking realization that it's ephemeral and consciousness is eternal. And so whenever even that beautiful wave crests and then goes away, the eternal self is left in so far as we have depended on that which does not last, we now feel deprived. And the heart breaks. The heart breaks open. And the heart realizes there's only one answer. All of this drama is just the backdrop for the single drama that I have to surrender myself to God. In the Festival of Light, Swami puts it so simply, He said, calm, acceptance, and joy. So it's not dramatic. It doesn't have to be throwing ourselves down with this weeping and wailing. It's just a calm acceptance that if Divine Mother could take me to freedom through any other route, she would take me by that route. And it's it's wonderful to watch our the flow of our own energy, and to realize how much suffering really comes down to a very simple thing. Do I have faith in God or not? It it was a startling realization for me recently because I've been strong on the path ever since I met Swamiji. I, I had such an instant recognition with him. I had such a strong connection, have such a strong connection in my heart with him. I've never struggled with that relationship. And I didn't notice that if I was worrying about anything, there was still a lack of faith in God. And it's been wonderful to realize everything in this world is just the backdrop for that one question. Do I feel Divine Mother's presence? Do I trust her? Am I still working it out, worrying about myself, wondering what's going to happen? Or do I trust her? That's that word surrender. And on the other side of it, calm acceptance, and then comes joy. The spiritual path feels complicated, and as my friend was saying as he was trying to exit his body and didn't succeed, 
The threads of karma are very interwoven. But in the end, it's really very simple. Do I love God? Do I trust God? Do I feel that Divine Mother is taking me by the only possible route to freedom? And am I willing then with my whole heart and everything that's in me to step forward and walk with her? God bless you. Well, I would like to welcome all of you. I'll tell you a little story. A year ago today, in the Temple of Light, there were as many people as we could fit. I think we put 900 people in here. And there were so many people in here that Maria and I had to sit out in a tent outside. So the law of karma, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. We have the whole place to ourselves, just with Asha and a virtual beam, and there's nobody else here. And we're all back out in India and South America and Europe and Asia, and we are still together in spirit. And we are moving forward uh, to overcome our karma. And these, um, it's now Jyotish Devi, Maria, and Asha. Uh, I'd like to tie these all together because there's really only one truth here. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it and your deathless self within. We have drifted away from the Divine Mother by the force of Maya, by the force of delusion. And as Asha was saying, we've constructed these ideas that this would be an alternate path to happiness. Uh, this would make us happy. And uh, as we uh, also, as Asha was referring, when we're young and new on the path, and I think this was true of a lot of us at Denanda Village when we were young, is we wanted to know about our past lives and our relationship with Master and were we with Master in a past life. And Swami Kriyananda was always uh, vague about the specifics with most of us most of the time. Because his focus was Master's focus, and that is realize truth, realize your oneness with your deathless self within. Who am I? Is it the ego? Is it the past lives? Is it the, whatever it is, a thousand past lifetimes, a million lifetimes, seeking an alternate happiness? Answer, no. That's the backdrop of karma. That's the dream nature of delusion. And we, as disciples, as truth seekers, have traveled a long, long way down the road. You would not be watching Spiritual Renewal Week if you hadn't paid a lot of dues in the world. Uh, absolutely would not be of interest. You'd immediately go to the Golf Channel and uh, watch something else. But there's something inside of us, and that's that soul whispering at first, and then singing out with joy eventually, but in the interim, getting the intuitive sense that something is missing in the world of duality. Something is missing in the world of materialism.
and it drives us, it pushes us. And when Swami Kriyananda began Ananda Village and Ananda.org, which we hadn't invented yet, but uh, we were drawn to it absolutely. Some of us had actually felt that we would need to start a World Brotherhood colony. Uh, and I was, I was of that ilk that we need a place where people can seek God together and do Kriya Yoga. And I'm just going to go start one because I didn't know it was already started. <laughs> but that was, that was my problem. Again, my karma, our veil. Who constructed your karma? You did. <laughs> With the help from Maya, but we have actually each crafted our own labyrinth, our own veil that prevents us from seeing you are a part of all that is. Now, Jyotish alluded to this briefly yesterday. But from the level of consciousness that we're on, it's hard for us to see the light of God the love of God, the truth of God, the power of God. And so we're fooled by Maya. When we get to the point of being interested in the spiritual path, and a, a lovely quote that you should keep in mind if you're new on the spiritual path is, it takes very, very, very good karma even to want to learn to meditate. That's from Sister Gyanamata. Now, if, you, if it takes that much good karma, you've got a wad of good karma on your side. If you come to the point where you are ready to meditate, learn to meditate, what is meditation? It is conscious concentration on some aspect of the divine. It can be Buddhist meditation, it can be Sufi, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, doesn't matter. Concentration on, and hear Maria's talk, the formless, nameless self. Who's the formless, nameless self? Well, I can't give you the name because it's nameless, but it is you. You are a part of all that is. You, your nature, your true nature, your true self is not the desires, the identifications. Kriyananda would refer to a bundle of self-definitions. And that is what we have created. I'm a man. I'm an American. I weigh hundreds of pounds. I am this tall. I have this proclivity. I easily make money. I'm prosperous. I am a loser when it comes to relationships. Whatever it is, we construct all this stuff. But it isn't true. Not a bit of it is true. And that is why, as Asha was talking, the Divine Mother pulls us through these karmic events. Because one by one, and in the quickest way she possibly can, she gives us the way home. That is the amazing fact of the universe. Is that and this is a truth that I've taken great heart in. The Divine Mother never gives you a test that you can't rise to. That's really helpful when you're new on the path because a lot of stuff seems like a test. 
uh, when you're new and you're trying to kind of push away worldly habits and get away from the culture and the mindset that you were raised in. For many of us that came to the village when we were teenagers or 20, we were very lucky because we, we had teenage you know, inclinations, but they were, you've only been doing them for, you've only been a teenager for seven years, so you're, you're good. You can, you can recreate yourself and you can become a disciple. And Swami Kriyananda never changed his tone when speaking to us. From the time I first encountered him at the age of 15 or whatever it was, and to the time that he left the body, he related to us not as a young disciple or an old disciple, an experienced Kriyabhan or a person who's just interested in the spiritual life. Never was there a change in the way he related to us. He related to each individual as the Atman, as the soul. Perfect, untouched, and he would translate the language, the appropriate behavior, as Master did to all of them, the disciples, all true seekers, his audiences. This was true of Kriyananda's audiences. He would relate to each individual as a perfect reflection of the divine, currently under the sway of some sort of maya or veil, some sort of culture, some sort of habit, some sort of mistaken identity, not aware I am nameless, I am free, I am formless, I am free, but influenced by the situation of karma. But with loving invitation, he would say to every individual, and this is our job too as, as disciples of the great masters, is invite our brothers and sisters to come up. Come up to the point between the eyebrows. Joe Tish was talking about this yesterday. The specific gravity. This is where the people are that you're meeting. This is, you accept that. You don't turn to some little kid and tell them about the highest Vedas. Although I have to admit, when I was in college, I was, would entertain my worldly collegiate friends by quoting the Vedas to them. <laughs> and they found them very amusing. They, they went on to become three, there was four dear male friends of mine. Three of them became lawyers, great lawyers, and the fourth is a great architect. And I just kept quoting them, and they would just break up. Moksha is liberation. They would fall rolling on their sides. They thought that was so funny. This nutty friend of theirs, uh, this Hindu guy. But the truth of it all is that that light shines, and eventually we realize this entire karmic mess, these habits, are part of the universe's construction. It's the, it's the plan, the divine plan, to introduce Maya into the world and for us to return to our home in God. All karma, 
are the fabric of maya, both good and bad, because it's limiting. Swami Kriyananda would point out to us, good karma is still limiting. It's still defining it as separate from pure, undying love. Pure truth. Pure truth, pure love is God. We are a part of that. We are that. How do we get there more quickly? And I would like to uh, amplify a little bit of what Davy mentioned yesterday. Remember she was enunciating the formula for, formulae for success. And she was saying the uh, prana, the life force. There's a formula for liberation. Prana, energy, life force, plus devotion, plus Kriya Yoga. Devotion, pranayama. If you're a disciple of another path, substitute your path for Kriya Yoga. The Kriya Yoga is what the guru, the Satguru has given us. What the Satguru has given the Buddhists is Om Mani Padmi Hum. The Satguru has given the Christians is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What Satguru has given the Sufis is the winged heart. Dance your troubles away. All these different paths. Why different paths? Different karmas. We've all written a novel with us as the hero, anti-hero, and it's different. And so God sends avatar after avatar, true path after true path. Devi and Jyotish mentioned the avatar of this age, Yogananda, but not in a sectarian way. Yogananda in the unity of all religions. But the way to overcome, to move forward to freedom, is to overcome your karma with devotion. And Asha was alluding to this. Karma can be really twisted, and it can be really complex. And the older I get and the more disciples I talk to, the more I realize there's a million variations on Maya. And they're intriguing, they're interesting, and as fast as possible I want to put them in the rearview mirror because they are the, what pulls us away from the reality of our true nature. How do we get to our true nature? Davy's formula prana, devotion. So instead of analyzing your karma infinitely and figuring out why she said that to you, because 15,000 lifetimes ago she said it to you in Nairobi, before it was Nairobi, this is all interesting but not necessary. Kriyananda kept us pointed forward in the battle against our karma. That's why he didn't go into past lives in great detail. Once in a while it might be helpful. If something comes up in your face and you have to deal with it, it might be helpful to realize this is a pattern. But you will realize that anyway if you focus on the light. Focus at the point between the eyebrows. Focus on the reality of God. Chant the names of God. Do japa. Practice the sadhana that's given to you by your guru. And bit by bit, the karma, 
the movie of the karma will, as Asha said, become boring and lose interest. I'm not that interested in my past karma. I'm plenty familiar with what I need to know. I'm focused on the Guru, on Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Moshai, Swami Sri Teshwar, the resurrected Christ. That's where our focus should be. That's where Kriyananda directed us to. He wrote songs. He wrote books. And they're all about not how we got here, except to understand that we did get here by our own choosing, but that we are moving rapidly towards freedom. And the more we put our consciousness on the light of God, on the spiritual eye, on our devotion, on high states of consciousness, on the lives of the saints, on the lives of the gurus, on beauty, on truth, on forgiveness, the more the karmic movie becomes older, fuzzier, black and white, like an old movie with the crackles on it. It's just kind of there. It happened a long time ago. It's from the 50s. It's not really that interesting. But the light of God, the beauty of God, the love of God, that is interesting. And that was Kriyananda's focus because that was Yogananda's focus. Because that's why the avatars come, is that we have to move past and out of the patterns of karma. And we do that by concentrating more intensely. Remember Jyotish said, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they said, concentrate, focus. Focus at the point between the eyebrows. Focus on the light of God. Keep looking through the veil of delusion. Keep looking past this movie. When your karma comes up, it's okay, it's there. It comes up and we have to sometimes have to understand it more clearly. What is the lesson? How can I think that I'm separate from God? How can I think that God's abandoned me? How can I think that God doesn't hear my prayers, our prayers? You know, some um, events in this script we adamantly hold need to be rewritten. Uh, my friend Jairam is been held in, in prison for many years. I've had numerous conversations correcting this part of the script with Master. He has failed to understand my point yet, but he's working on it. He's, he's going to get the message. And in my point of view, in Jai Ram's point of view, it's to understand that where the body is is not where the soul is. We are free in God. We are nameless. We are free in ourselves. We are free beyond the duality, beyond the constant turning of this universe. In, in the real universe, which is the realm of light, which is formless, the Divine Mother is there with us. So I would suggest that you try a strategy with karma, and that's to bet everything on devotion and Kriya Yoga. Put all your karma in, see them and raise them. 
all the way and go for the concept of liberation, of freedom. That is ultimately where the guru is, the Satguru is, and where we are going, where we are trying to go, where we're needing to go, where all the fulfillment is complete. The fulfillment can't be complete in the world of duality because it's a finite world. How can you have infinite fulfillment in a finite world? It doesn't work. But fulfillment in God is possible. And this is the teaching of every avatar who's ever lived. The Buddha, Krishna, Christ. I and my Father are one. The Buddha nature is everyone's nature. It's a case of us needing to put that focus in our lives and to up the intensity of our spiritual dedication. Spiritual Renewal Week. Some of us are here for the first time. Some of us are here for the 51st time. The point is that we can all up the intensity of our spiritual life until we merge with God entirely, until we're liberated. So how do we do that? We can increase the intensity of our meditation, sometimes by relaxing. Sometimes we're meditating too hard. Remember, Yogananda said that to Kriyananda. He said, you're trying too hard. You're, you've constructed another little uh, vignette in the movie and it has the relationship between, if I try harder, I'll, God will come. God's here. <laughs> God's with you all the time. Relax. Now, that doesn't mean relax and don't do sadhana. Relax into the world, because there's a very important point here, and I don't want to leave this. Maya is serious business. Maya, the draw of your past karma, of the little vritis in the spine, the little samskars, the impressions from past lives, they're in the astral spine. True, Kriya Yoga burns up samskars. Absolutely true. But if you relax, Maya is going to try to trip you up and catch you with those little samskars. And something that is insanely ridiculous is going to seem attractive to you because a long time ago you did it. I had a dear friend, wonderful disciple, who I, uh, have re who I respect and have always respected. But he had a gambling addiction. And I, I lived in Sacramento at the time, and this brother comes to me and we're talking we're talking about Kriya Yoga. He's a Kriya Yogi. He's a practitioner of yoga. He's a disciple of Master. And he started telling me that he has this unstoppable drive to go to gambling casinos and go gambling. <laughs> I, I foolishly said, are there gambling casinos in Sacramento? <laughs> I did, I, again, this is what Jyotish was talking about. It's on the realm that I know about the Yoga centers, <laughs> I know about the, the Buddhist temple. Where is there gambling? <laughs> what, is, what, what is 
what kind of gambling do you do? I thought you had to go to Reno to go gambling. He said, no, no, there's gambling. Okay. Anyway, point being, it was attractive to him, and it was ruining his life. Of course, it was taking all his money, because you always lose gambling. And then, of course, you remember in Malbarta, you just steer it went gambling. That didn't work out very well, did it? Uh, but my friend just, he just went and he was drawn. And you can just see these karmic tendencies, they're in. But, again, as we were saying, you have very, very good karma to be drawn to the spiritual path. And maybe through Spiritual Renewal Week, through Master's teachings, you'll find your way to your guru. Pursue it. Push on it. Don't relax in that regard. Don't, I, I cannot tell you how many people I've taught to meditate. We as a Sangha have taught to meditate. It's in the thousands. It could easily be a million. But how many pursue the practice of meditation and bring them to liberation? I'm sad to say, but it's not that many. But there's a story once Yogananda was, there was a big gathering Hundreds of people, I think a thousand five hundred people came and someone said, Oh master, this is so wonderful. All these people came. Master very quietly said, We'll be lucky if we get four. Let's stay with it. Maya is serious business. It's got an arsenal of karma that you created waiting and just looking to deal those cards to you. Just oh, this is great, you know. This is wonderful. I, you forget all about sadhana, self-realization, uplifting thoughts, beautiful music, and you go down this path. Yogananda used a wonderful term, counterfeit samadhi. It's, it's counterfeit. It looks like samadhi, but it's not samadhi. And as soon as you start paying your bills with your counterfeit samadhi, it's, they bounce. They bounce at the bank. It doesn't work. Enjoyable beyond imagination of expectancy, samadhi bliss. That's where we need to go. That's where we can find that freedom. Move towards that. Keep it as your focus. Keep that in front of you. Keep the picture of the guru or the discipleship vow or something. And remind yourself every day, every minute, um, that the consciousness of God is all light, all beauty. Keep the music, uplifting music, keep the chanting, keep the names of God, keep the pictures of the saints, keep your own highest accomplishments and look for the accomplishments of others around you. We draw tremendous inspiration from the life of each other. Asha, Jyotish and Devi, Jaya and Sadhana, the other saints, Swami Satchitananda, the Integral Yoga Institute, the Buddhist path, all truth seekers of all religions. And we are committed to that. We're going to, let's close this class. There, I, I'm supposed to mention that um, uh, Narya and Dharmarajan are going to tell some experiences they've had with Swami, how Swami Kriyananda helped them overcome karma. Those are available on the web. But before we close this uh, class, I'd like us to send 
vibrations of light and harmony and healing to the world. We have been instructed, uh, um, Maria says that meditating gets rid of karma. Prayer can help alleviate karma. The world is enduring some of its own karma now. And Divine Mother, as Asha said, is doing it in the best way she can. But nonetheless, we're so far into this materialism and violence and separation consciousness, we need some stern medicine. Let's send them some healing medicine. Let's send them the vibration of Om. And what I'd like you to do is to just focus at the point between the eyebrows. Everywhere in the world, we, we are in Asia, Europe, Africa, North and South America, Australia. We're probably in Antarctica. And we're all over the world. Let's send this vibration. One light, one prayer, one Father. He's the Father of all religions. Let us send out this prayer and alleviate the karma of the entire world by chanting Om three times. I'll chant, you can chant at home. May the entire world be filled with peace and joy. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti.